We'll go ahead and take a seat, everybody. Welcome to Harvest. Glad you're here today. Good time of worship. Good way to start the year, 2021. Not quite used to saying that yet, but uh, it'll come. We want to start off this year uh, once again in the book of Romans, which we've been studying for a while. And so go ahead and take your Bibles and turn, to me, turn with me to Romans chapter 12, 1 through 2. Welcome to those of you who are online right now watching our service. Let me invite you as well to uh, turn in your Bibles to Romans 12, verses 1 through 2. You know, that statement that LeRae just read uh, in verse 1, it's one of the weirdest and most instructive analogies in the Bible about the Christian life. A living sacrifice. A living sacrifice. What in the world? We offer our bodies to God as living sacrifice. In Greek, it has the idea of making your life a living killing. Make your life a living killing, Harvest Decatur. What? What are we talking about here? And of course, Paul is being deliberately paradoxical here. His statement is basically unintelligible to us as human beings, you know. How can I be a living dead thing? How can I be a living killing, Paul? It's unintelligible to us as human beings unless you're a Christian. If you're a Christian right now, you're reading that, you're like, oh yeah, uh, Christians, yeah, we die to ourselves daily. That's what we do. I'm putting to death the deeds of my flesh. I have new life in Christ Jesus. Put away the old, put away the dead, put on the new, put on life. Makes perfect sense to us as Christians, this living sacrifice. Except, honestly, I think we just have to be honest about it. It's, it's a little weird. It's a little weird. I'm a living sacrifice. It's a little weird. And maybe that's why I like it. In fact, I like it a lot. It's one of my favorite passages of Scripture. You know, if you came up to me after the service today and said, Pastor Tony, you know, what's your life verse? What's, what's that verse, that passage of Scripture? It's changed you more than anything else. I would probably respond sarcastically, the Bible is my life verse. That's my life verse. Here it is. Just take it and go with it. But if you pressed me a little bit beyond the sarcasm and said, Pastor Tony, no, really, really. I mean, what's that passage in the Bible that has changed your life more than any other I would unhesitatingly say Romans 12, 1 and 2. I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is God's will, what is good and acceptable and perfect. Anyone looking for a New Year's resolution in 2021? Ryan talked about that a little bit earlier. Anybody looking for something? Anybody broken already? Some New Year's resolution for 2021? Here's one. I'll give you one. Memorize this passage. Memorize it and recite it every day of 2021. Every day. Say this to the Lord. And I would even Say, personalize it as a prayer to the Lord every day. Lord, I offer up my life as a living sacrifice to you today. 
Help me to not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of my mind so I may know what your will is for my life, what is good and pleasing and perfect. Do that. That will literally change your life this year like it has changed mine. Saying that, believing that, and praying that to the Lord every day in 2020. Let's talk Romans 12, 1 and 2. Harvest Decatur, what does offering up our bodies as a living sacrifice look like? What are we talking about? Give me some handles for this, Pastor Tony. Okay, I will. I'll give you two key words that I think summarize what all Paul is saying here in these two verses. And the first word is consecration. And the second word is transformation. Okay, if I could distill all that Paul is saying here in two words, it's these it's these two words, consecration and then transformation. Let's start with consecration. What does a living sacrifice look like? Take your notes and write this down. What does a living sacrifice look like? It looks like consecration. It looks like a constant state of surrender by us, the followers of Jesus Christ. Paul says in verse 1, I appeal to you, therefore, brothers. Therefore, that's, an, that's a very important and strategic word here and by the way there are some great therefores in the bible whenever there's a therefore there's there's a link uh, to what went before to what's coming in the future and so and there's some great therefores in the book of romans i'll show you a few therefore since we have been justified by faith romans 5 1 we have peace with god through our lord jesus christ that's a great therefore right there romans 5 1 Romans 8, 1, there is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. And now Paul says in Romans 12, 1, I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God. You might ask, well, what's the therefore doing here? What are we linking? What's the connection Paul's making? What's the previous argument that Paul is building on? Well, he, essentially, he's building on everything that he's already written in Romans 1 through 11, The book of Romans is this great doctrinal treatise from the Apostle Paul, and Paul has argued extensively throughout chapters 1 through 11 about the sinfulness of humanity and and justification by faith alone and God's sovereign work of election and the power of the life-giving spirit. 11 chapters of this. It's breathtaking just to, to read it all. We've been studying it for two years now. And after declaring some of the most difficult and mysterious points of doctrine in Romans 9 through 11, Paul just kind of breaks out in praise. Remember last week's passage, Romans 11, 30 through 36? Oh, the depth of the riches and wisdom and knowledge of God, how unsearchable are his judgments and how inscrutable his ways. For from him and through him and to him are all things to him be glory forever. Amen. It's like, it's like Paul has exhausted himself. You know, writing for 11 chapters on theology, he's like, I just can't hold it anymore. I got to praise the Lord. And so he just explodes in doxology. Enough explanation, it's time for exaltation. And you know, if the Holy Spirit had ended with that great doxology at the end of chapter 11, I mean, who would complain? Who of us would complain? We'd all be like, yeah, that was perfect book, perfect way to end it. But you know, the Holy Spirit's not done with us yet at the end of chapter 11, because we've got all of this doctrinal content in chapters 1 through 11. Now Paul wants to get in your business. Now he wants to get practical. Now he wants to say, chapters 12 through 16, 
This is how this should affect your life. This is how your life should change. This is how you should live differently in light of what I've been sharing with you for 11 chapters. Paul moves from orthodoxy to orthopraxy in chapters 12 through 16 and starts right here in chapter 12, verse 1. I appeal to you, brothers, by the mercies of God to present your bodies as a living sacrifice. You might say, what mercies? What, what, what are we talking about? What, what mercies is Paul referring to here? He's talking about all the mercies that have been revealed in chapters 1 through 11. And I would say the primary mercy that he's referring to is our salvation by faith, by grace, in Christ alone, that we don't deserve by that mercy, in light of that mercy that God has shown you. Anybody been shown some mercies this morning? And On January 3rd, 2021, I hope you're raising your hand at home right now, those of you who are watching. There's more than we can count. Even if we just limited it to what Paul writes in Romans 1 through 11, there's more than we can count. Paul says, in light of that mercy, in light of the free gift of salvation, even, which we didn't earn and which we don't deserve, we should present our bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is our spiritual worship. Let me unpack this a little bit more. Every word in here is so important, but I, I can't go through every word. So let me just, let me break this up, this first statement, consecration, into three components, okay? Three components about consecration. What is consecration, Pastor Tony? What are we talking about here? We're talking about something that's fueled by mercy. We're talking about something that's fitted with holiness. And we're talking about something that is fixated on God's glory. So let's start with 1A here. Consecration is fueled by mercy. It's fueled by mercy. Paul appear, appeals to us to offer our bodies as living sacrifices by the mercies of God. Paul appeals to us to offer our bodies because, I think that's a better way here than through, because or by, because of God's mercy. You know, as Christians, this is so important. We never, ever should have the attitude of, oh, yeah, oh, yeah, I got saved because I earned it, because I deserve it, because I'm better than some other person. That is never, never, never the posture of a Christian. We're always mercy, mercy, God's mercy, God's mercy. I'm saved because of God's mercy, because of God's grace. I don't deserve it. And in light of that, that's where all these other things flow. That's why we do this. This is why we offer up our bodies as a living sacrifice. I don't, here, let, listen, listen. I don't offer up my body as a living sacrifice to the Lord. Because, you know, I'm, it's my best life now. And that's going to make me happy and wonderful. And we don't do it for that reason. We don't offer up our bodies as living sacrifices because, you know, that's, that's mysterious and that's cool. And I like to tell people about that. Yeah, I offer up my body as a living sacrifice. Isn't that neat? No, we do this because God has been merciful to us when we didn't deserve it. It's fueled by that. God has been so good to me. He died for me. What's the natural response? Here's my life, Lord. Here's me. Use it for your purpose. And actually, Paul, what he's saying here is... You, it's diplomatic, I appeal to you, but there's, there's some 
apostolic heft to what he's staying here, saying here. I urge you, I exhort you, this is practically a command, in light of God's mercy to offer up your bodies as a living sacrifice. And by the way, let me clarify here, this is not a once for all time thing. Like I did that, Pastor, I did that. 1995, I did that, I'm done. No, this is, you do this throughout your life. You do it every day. You do it all the time. You keep doing it. If I can be honest, I had to do this a couple times over the Christmas holidays and just say, Lord, man, once again, here I am. I offer up my body as a living sacrifice to you. For me, let me just speak testimonially for a second here. All of this began for me around 1984, and that's when it started for me. That's when I got saved. Every, every time I see an advertisement for Wonder Woman 1984, I think to myself, that was a good year for me, 1984. I like that year. In the late 1900s, that's when I got saved. That's when I gave my life to the Lord. I've shared that story with you all before. I was in grade school at a Christian school, and the principal of the school gave a chapel message and told me that I'm a sinner wonderfully and so mercifully told me that I'm a sinner, which I needed to hear. I knew it anyway. He told me that I needed Christ Jesus. I came forward that day. I gave my life to Christ. I got saved. And, you know, that, that began this great journey with the Lord. But I'll just tell you, that's not where my journey with the Lord ended. Like, yeah, I did it. 1984, I'm done. Because ever since then, I have had this ongoing battle with my will. I want something, God wants something for me. I want something, God wants something for me. And that battle actually climaxed in my life in college when I was wrestling. Like Jacob, I was wrestling with the Lord. He wanted me to do some stuff. I didn't want to do it. I was wrestling, wrestling, wrestling. Having a difficult time until wonderfully, mercifully, God showed up to me in a powerful way, and I just surrendered my life to him, finally. I said, Lord, no more compartmentalizing my life. No more holding back things from me. Here is my life. Here is everything I am. Take it and use it for your purposes. And when I did that, there was such, I wish I could take you there. I wish, y'all, I, wish I could let you feel what I felt in that moment. There was such a flood of joy and release and the anxiety just kind of melted out of my life as I did that. Finally, for the first time, I think, surrender fully to him. And you know, I wish I, wish I could say that that was the last time it was done. After that, I never had a problem again. But I just told you over Christmas break, again, I have to come back, surrender to the Lord, consecrate again, give my life to the Lord again. The Lord showed me in college what Romans 12:1 meant. I offer up my body as a living sacrifice, surrendering fully to him. But that wasn't the last time I've done that. And in fact, I think this should be a daily thing for us as Christians. I've already encouraged you to make that even a New Year's resolution for 2021 to offer up your life to the Lord again and again and again. You know what the problem is with living sacrifices? Can I tell you? The problem with living sacrifices is they keep crawling off the altar. And you got to get back on there and say, I'm here again, Lord. Consecration is a constant state of surrender. It's fueled by God's mercy. Write this down under 2B. 
Consecration is also fitted with holiness. Fueled by mercy, fitted with holiness, I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your body as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God. Think about the Old Testament. What was it in the Old Testament that they used for the sacrifices? It was the spotless lamb. It was the blemishless bull or goat that was used for sacrifice. And the spotlessness of those animals, their perfection, obviously prefigures Christ, who was the sinless sacrifice on our behalf. But in a similar way, Paul exhorts us to imitate that holiness. He's, he's using this Old Testament imagery of sacrifice, and he's saying, you be like those dead animals, except you're a living dead animal. You're, you're living for him, and you're holy, and you're blameless, and, and the Lord does not want you to say, well, here you go, Lord, you can take my life. I'm going to commit adultery this afternoon, but whatever I have left, you can have me. I'm going to cheat cheat on my taxes. I'm going to cheat on my employer. I'm going to yell at my kids as soon as I get home, but you can have me, Lord. Here I am. No, he wants, he wants a holy sacrifice. He wants somebody who's been redeemed by the blood of Jesus and living in the light of that redemption. That's who we are as Christians, holy and blamelessly offering up our lives to the Lord. Not perfectly, I know, I know. But increasingly as a Christian, this should be the case for you. The church father, John Chrysostom, he said it this way. You can read this on the screen. How is the body to become a sacrifice? He says, let the eye look on no evil thing, and it has already become a sacrifice. Let the tongue say nothing filthy, and it has become an offering. Let your hand do no, nothing evil, and it has become a whole burnt offering for the Lord. But even this is not enough. For we must have good works also. In other words, it's not just prohibition. It's actually doing some stuff for the Lord. That's how we offer our bodies as a living sacrifice. We, what are some things we do? The hand must do alms. The mouth must bless those who curse it. And the ears must find time to listen to the reading of Scripture. The 16th century Bible scholar Erasmus, he said it this way. He said, sacrifice your disposition to pride rather than a young calf. Slay your boiling anger instead of a ram. Immolate your lust instead of a goat. Sacrifice to God your lascivious and seductive thoughts. The thoughts of your mind instead of pigeons and doves. These are sacrifices truly worthy of a Christian. And I think one of the great tragedies in the American church is how little seriousness we how, how little we think of holiness and how, how we don't take that serious at all. And we, we fixate on grace to a place, we're obsessed with it, that, that we forget that God also said, be holy for I am holy. And, and I get it, I'm obsessed with grace too. Grace is awesome. But I want you to know, and I've said this before, grace, grace, grace has a backbone, okay? Grace is not just a big pile of sentimental mush that allows us to do whatever we wanna do. It actually forces us and propels us to holiness, to offering up blameless lives before the Lord. So our consecration, it's fueled by mercy. It's fitted with holiness. Also, 1C, it's fixated on God's glory. Present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God. 
which is your spiritual worship. Our offering up our bodies to the Lord is is an act of worship. I know we talk about worship more generally. Sometimes we talk about praise, the singing of songs as worship to the Lord, and, and that's good. That's an important part of our worship. Worship was good this morning. It was good to be here and get, get this year started right, the first Sunday of 2021. But I, I want you to know that worship is more than just singing songs of praise to the Lord. One of the ways that we worship the Lord is by offering up our bodies, offering up our lives, offering up our minds, offering up everything that we have. Here you are, Lord. Here I am. Use me for your purposes. We become fixated on God's purposes and God's will and God's glory. And I think that's what Paul does at the end of chapter 11. I already referenced this. Oh, the depth of the riches and the wisdom and knowledge of God. How unsearchable are his judgments and how inscrutable his ways. Just overcome by the glory of the Lord. Paul's overwhelmed by the goodness of God and he explodes in doxology. And then he follows that up in verse 1 of chapter 12 with this statement about consecrating our bodies as a living sacrifice to the Lord. Here I am, Lord. Here's my life. Here's here's my body. Here's my mind. Use it for your purposes. Can I just tell you, Harvest Decatur, when you do that, when you have that kind of mindset, when Romans 12, 1 and 2 really starts to transform you, there is such freedom that comes in that. By surrendering to the Lord. We think sometimes that freedom comes by by taking things on ourselves and having control of our lives. That doesn't lead to freedom. That doesn't lead to joy. That leads to stress. But when we surrender our lives to the Lord, there is freedom in that. There is joy that comes in that. I often like to think about the, the animal sacrifices in the Old Testament and some of what the Israelites went through and just imagine myself as an Israelite. Before Christ came and offered the once-for-all sacrifice, what would we do? We would take this animal in my flock that my kids love, and we take that animal all the way to the temple. We give it to the priest, and me and my kids would just sit there as they killed the animal right in front of us and bled it out. And we were all, like, traumatized by that. And then we, you know, we sprinkle blood, and there's, there's all this activity, and there's all this, this, this uncomfortable uncomfortableness and it's time consuming watching an animal taking an animal it's it's costly too because animals are worth something i could eat that animal but here it is it's just being burned up for the lord well we know that christ is our sacrificial lamb we don't have to do blood sacrifices in this new testament era and i'm thankful for that we don't need those sacrifices anymore But here's what we can do. We can yearly and weekly and daily offer up, present our bodies to the Lord as living sacrifices. Here's my life, Lord. Here's my time, Lord. Here's everything that I, here are my talents, Lord, limited as they are. Use them for your purposes. Here are the years that I have left on this planet. I don't know how many years it, could be 50 years, could be 50 minutes. I don't know. 
But whatever I have left, Lord, here it is. Use it for your purposes. That is what we can do as an act of worship for the Lord. And, you know, maybe it needs to be more daily than that. You know, instead of talking in years, talk, talk in hours. I've got 24 hours, Lord, today. And almost half of that is spent sleeping. Take these next 24 hours, Lord, and use them for your glory. My work, my time with my family, my rest, my sleep, my recreation, all of it. Take it and use it for your glory. That's consecration. Now let me flesh this out a little bit more because I know this, this whole living sacrifice imagery, it can be a little bit abstract. I think that's the nature of some of these analogies. So Paul adds some specifics in verse 2 that are invaluable for us. Paul shows us that this living sacrifice lifestyle, it's not just concentration, it's not just consecration, it's transformation. So let's talk about this transformation, this constant state of renewal. What does a living sacrifice look like? Consecration, this constant state of surrender, but also transformation, this constant state of renewal. Paul says this in verse 2. He says, do not be conformed to this world. I think Paul was a little more measured in verse 1. I appeal to you, you know. I urge you in light of what God, you know. It's, it's, it's great di- diplomacy there with Paul. There's no diplomacy here. This is just a full-on command for Paul. Do not do this, Christians. Okay, Paul. Do not be conformed to this world. Don't do it. But instead, be transformed. Metamorpho is the Greek word. Be metamorphosized. By what? By the renewal of your mind. Let's start with not being conformed to the world. What are we, what are we talking about? What does that mean when Paul says that? Well, when Paul says that, do not be conformed to the world, he is not saying that we need to isolate ourselves from the world. He's not saying that we need to separate ourselves physically from the world and live in seclusion. I want to be clear about that because Jesus told us to be salt and light in the world. You've got to be in the world to be salt and light. We're to be in the world but not of the world. That's what Jesus tells us. So this doesn't mean seclusion. It doesn't mean removing yourself from the world. Do not be conformed to this world but be transformed by the renewal of your mind that by testing you may discern what the will of God is, what is good and acceptable and perfect. Verse 2, this is just as potent as verse 1, so let me give you three, three components to this concept of transformation too. Transformation means apart from the world, altered by the truth, addicted to God's will. Apart from the world, altered by the truth, addicted to God's will. Let's start with apart from the world. Paul says, do not be conformed to this world, and that word for world there, he's, he's not talking about people. He's, he's not saying don't, don't associate with people. He's not saying don't be in this world and rub shoulders with unbelief. He's not saying that. He's not saying you need to move out into the wilderness and homestead and start churning your own butter, okay? That's not what Paul is saying. He's not telling us that we can't use the Internet. He's not telling us that we can't watch movies. He's not telling us that we can't listen to music with a beat. He's not telling us that we can't put our kids in public school. 
He's not saying we need to live in isolation from the world. You can churn butter if you want to, okay, people? But that is not really what we're talking about here. When Paul says world, do not be conformed to the world. He's using world as a metonymy there for worldliness. Do not be conformed to worldliness, to the sin patterns of this world, to, to human foolishness that is characterized by this world, to worldly wisdom. Do not be formed by that. Do not conform to that. But instead be different. In fact, let, let me put it this way, this more positively. Do not be conformed to this world. In other words, be dissimilar from this world. Be different from this world. Church, Christians, be, don't be a limbing. Don't be a tool. Don't just mindlessly and blindly follow what the world tells you to do. Be different, be dissimilar from the world. I know I've said that before here. I feel like I've been preaching that for 13 years. I'm going to keep preaching it because there is such power in this. And I know the temptation that all of us have, especially the young people in this room, to just blend in, to just be like everybody else, to just go with the flow. And Paul says, don't do that. And I think we make the mistake, too, of thinking, well, that's the best way to win the world. We've got to be like the world to win the world. We've got to be like the world, act like the world. They won't tell the difference, and then we'll win people to Christ that way. Can I just tell you, you will not win people to Christ that way. You won't. I've made that mistake in my ministry before. I've made that mistake in my life before, trying to be like the world to win the world. It doesn't work. It's not compelling to the world. Do you know what's compelling to the lost world? Difference. Something different. Dissimilarity is compelling. Similarity is not compelling. Similarity is not even interesting. So be different from the world. Let me sympathize a little bit, especially with some of you who are young in this room. There, and I feel this. I feel this at 42, but I really felt it when I was 15, 16, 17. There is this unyielding pressure on us as Christians to be like the world. I get it. And if maybe you're too young to have really felt that. If you haven't felt that yet, you will feel that at some point. The world's wanting you to conform, wanting to conform you into its image and make you like the world with worldliness and sin and, and unbiblical thinking. And let me just exhort you as your pastor, because I love you, and for the sake of your soul and for the sake of the souls of other people in our world, be different from this world. I feel so strongly about this. I'm actually starting a, a series next week called Dare to be Different, and it's all on Romans chapter 12, verse 2. So just eight weeks, I'm going to work through that. There's my logo up there, which is perfect for this morning. I didn't plan it that way, but there you go. Snow and all. And I really want to walk all of us through some important different, and, and I'm not saying just be different for the sake of being different. No, I'm talking about a biblical difference from this world in some key categories. And that starts next week. So if I leave a few stones unturned this morning, don't worry. We'll deal with it more in the weeks to come. 
Let's talk about the positive side of this. Paul says, look at verse 2, do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed. Metamorpho, metamorphosize. Like bullfrogs and butterflies. That's what we are as Christians. Being changed by the Lord. Being transformed by the renewal of your mind. Put off and put on is what we do. We put off the world. We put off sin. We put off worldliness and we put on Christ. We put off the deeds of the flesh and we put on the fruit of the spirit. Go ahead and write this down as 2B. Transformation means that we're also altered by the truth. We're apart from the world and we're altered by the truth. Have you guys ever met that guy who says he's a Christian and yet for, the, for, for 30 years he's been telling the same off-color jokes, making everybody uncomfortable? He's, you know, cheating, stealing from his employer. He's disrespectful to other people, disrespectful to his wife. You ever met that woman, that lady who says she's a Christian and she has no control over her tongue? For years and years and years, nothing ever changes. She treats her husband like garbage. She treats her kids like an inconvenience that got in the way of her life. It should not be that way. Some of you might say, well, Pastor, the, way people, the reason people act like that is because they're, they're false converts. They're not real believers. That might be true. Also, they might not take Romans 12 too seriously. And have not experienced the transforming power of God in their lives. Here's the thing. If we're going to be different from the world, and I mean really different. Re- I mean really different. Different in a good way and attractive to the world. Not just some Christianized version of worldly people. We, we're going to have to change. We're going to have to be different. We're going to have to be transformed. We're going to have to, have to metamorphosize by the power that God gives us. What does that look like, Pastor Tony? How does that happen? How are our minds renewed? Paul says, do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind. How are our minds renewed, Pastor Tony? In three ways. These aren't in your notes, but let me just give you three ways that our minds are renewed, okay? The Holy Scriptures, the Holy Spirit, and the community of believers. Those three things bring change in your life. The Holy Scriptures, the Holy Spirit, and the community of believers. If you're not committed to God's Word, this right here, this revelation, this revelation brings transformation. If you're not committed to this, you will not experience transformation. This is the tool. This is the revelation that God has given us. He's revealed it to us so that we might be transformed. So, I mean, in, in 2021, if you've got New Year's resolutions about your family, about your health, about your diet, about working out, and you don't have something in place, a plan to discipline yourself in this, that is an epic fail. You have failed, Christian. You will not be transformed like you need to be in 2021. Renewal of the mind takes place through our engagement with Scripture. It also I'll say this too, it takes place through our attentiveness of the Holy Spirit. The same Holy Spirit that co-wrote these scriptures is the Holy Spirit that lives inside of you and is constantly working to change you and transform you, telling you, don't do that, you need to do this. And if you're just ignoring that, if you're not paying attention, if you're not even asking the Lord to show you by conviction what he wants you to do, you're going to miss out on transformation. 
We need the Holy Spirit. We need the Holy Scriptures. We need the Holy Spirit. We also need the community of faith. We need the community of believers. In fact, Paul even talks about this later in Romans 12, about the gifts that have been given to each of us and how we we use that and we leverage that for spiritual strength and edification in the church. You've got to have that in order for transformation to take place. You've got to have this because the same Holy Spirit that's in me is in you. And the Holy Spirit in you wants to minister to me and help me be transformed. And the Holy Spirit in me wants to see you transformed. And they work together in that way. So you need the community of faith. You need accountability. You need prayer partners. You need people that you connect with that feed your soul, that edify you through their gifts. If you don't have that in 2021, you're going to miss out on transformation, Harvest Decatur. There's more that I could say about that, but that should suffice for now. There's some questions, some sermon questions, application questions in your bulletin that you can take and process this with. I encourage you to do that. Encourage, I encourage you to do that with another brother or sister in Christ. Do it with your small group. Start to think this thing this through. Finally, to see transformation means that we are Addicted to God's will. Apart from the world, altered by the truth. And addicted to God's will. Be transformed by the renewal of your mind. That by testing. You may discern what is the will of God. What is good and acceptable and perfect. I used to read this passage when I was younger, and I thought of it as kind of like a Christianized crystal ball, you know? Like, oh, if I do these things, if I offer my body as a living sacrifice, I know God's will for my life. Ooh, ooh, the lolly. Look at this. God will tell me who I need to marry. God will tell me how many kids to have. God will tell me where I should be employed. God will tell me where to live. God's crystal ball. I don't view it that way anymore. God's will in this passage is less about who I will marry and what career I choose. It's more about those things that are good and acceptable and perfect. It's more about his moral will, doing those things that please him and honor him. And here's a distinction for you. Theologians distinguish between what's called the hidden will of God and the revealed will of God. And the hidden will of God or the decretive will of God is hidden, okay? It stays hidden. The hidden things belong to the Lord, Deuteronomy 29, 29. This is less about the hidden will of God than the revealed word of God the revealed will of God that we find in his word, his revelation, his scriptures, his truth. It's about that. And and as we study God's word, as we listen to the Holy Spirit, as we come to church and learn from each other, we're able to test what's good, what's right, what the the Lord wants. And we, we pursue those things. And here's how this practically plays out in the life of a Christian. As I access God's word, and the Holy Spirit, and the community, the holy community of faith, things, those things work together to renew my mind. 
and make me more like Jesus. And I receive greater insight into those things that are pleasing to the Lord. I learn what pleases him and I go after those things. And I learn what grieves him and I stay away from those things. And, and as I pursue those things that please the Lord, I start to experience God's pleasure with him. And his pleasure becomes my pleasure. And it's the best kind of pleasure. Doug Moo says it this way in verse 2. He says, Paul's vision to which he calls us is of Christians whose minds are so thoroughly renewed that we know almost instinctively what, are we, what we are to do to please God in any given situation. We know that premarital sex may bring temporary pleasure. But sex in the context of marriage is God's better way. So we go for that and we experience the joy that he has in that. I've experienced that. We know that taming our tongues brings pleasure to God instead of lashing out at people in anger. That doesn't bring any long-term pleasure. It might be pleasurable for the moment. But later you're destroying relationships. You're tearing your life apart. Instead of having a tame tongue, pleasing God and experiencing the pleasure that God gives in that. We know that good stewardship of God's resources that he has given us pleases the Lord. And we start to enjoy that. Good stewardship of our resources instead of mindlessly and recklessly spending our money for whatever pleasures we want in this world. As we please God, as we experience his pleasure in that, can I just tell you, it becomes addictive. It is. It's, I want more of that. Lord, the world tells me to do this. You told me to do this, and so I pursue this, and ha, wouldn't you know it? This is better. I like this better. It gives me more lasting joy than whatever temporary pleasures I have in pleasing myself and pleasing the world. It's addictive. Transformation is addictive. You know what I want in 2021? You know what I want in December of 2021? If, if we make it that far, the Lord doesn't come back before then. I want to be different in December of 2021 than I am right now in January of 2021. I want to be transformed. I want to be a better version of the Christian that I am now. I'm asking the Lord for that because it's good and it's addictive. And it's wonderful. I look at the man that I am today, and I am not perfect. Don't get me wrong, but I am so different from the man I was in 2001, in 2011. Rich Mullins has this great line in his song called Home. It's a song I've been singing since I was a teenager. And each time I sing it, it, it brings new meaning into my life. Mullen says, what I'd have settled for, you've blown so far away. What you brought me to, I thought I could not reach. That's transformation, Harvesticator. I want you to have this. <laughs> I want you to experience it like I've experienced. I know some of you have. This is what happens when we renew our minds, when we consecrate 
ourselves, and then we experience God's transformation. Just practically here, Warren Wiersbe said this. He said, for many years, I have tried to begin each day by surrendering my body to the Lord. This is kind of what I was trying to encourage you to do at the beginning of this message. Each day, surrendering my body to the Lord. Then I spend time with his word and let him transform my mind and prepare my thinking for that new day. Then I pray and I yield the plans of the day to him and let him work as he sees best. To have a right relationship with God, we must start the day by yielding to him our bodies, minds, and wills. Consecration, transformation. Church, everybody with me? Consecration, transformation. That's the Christian life, Harvest Decatur. That's what we do. Consecration, I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercy of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God. Consecration, transformation. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. I read a commentator this last week that said, to be a Christian means to give as much of myself as I can to as much of Jesus Christ as I know. It's really good. To be a Christian means to give as much of myself as I can to as much of Jesus Christ as I know. That's Romans 12, 1 and 2. These are probably the most important words in my life that I've ever read. Memorize these words. Live this out. Offer your bodies as a living sacrifice to the Lord and then experience the power of transformation that God makes possible for us. Let me close with this. I heard a story this last week, a great story about a chicken and a pig. Okay? Everybody with me? Chicken and a pig. Walking alone together down the road. And as they were walking, they saw this sign, this billboard that said, feed the poor. Feed the poor. So the chicken turned to the pig and said, you know what? That is a great idea. We should be involved in that. We should help feed the poor. Tell you what, pig, let's put together a little breakfast for poor people. You and me, we'll work together. I'll provide the egg. You provide the bacon. What do you say, pig? And the pig said, I don't know about that. You know, for you, that's just a contribution, an egg. For me, that's like a total commitment to that goal. Here's the moral of that story. I think there are people in their Christian life that just, just, they just try to make a contribution. Just, just give a little thing, just a little egg, just a little service, a little lip service. Go to church every once in a while. Do this thing for the Lord compartmentalize this part you know I'll give to the Lord this part I'm going to keep to myself keep from surrendering just a little 
contribution for the Lord instead of a total commitment. Can I just tell you this morning, the Lord doesn't need your little contribution. And he doesn't ask for a little contribution. What he wants is a total commitment. Let me say it this way. He doesn't want your chicken egg contribution. He wants your bacon, okay? He wants your life. He wants everything that you are. And, and you might say, well, what's, why should I do that? Why should I be totally committed? What's God ever done for me? What's he ever given me? He's given you his son. And his son gave his life for you and died so that your sins could be removed. He gave you his mercy, which you don't deserve. And in light of that, what does he ask of us in return? Romans 12, 1 and 2. Offer up your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to the Lord. Let's pray together, can we? Worship team's going to come up here, but let's just quiet our hearts before we sing this final song. I can only imagine that for some of you listening right now, this is totally foreign to you. Maybe you thought Christianity was just a box to check when people come to your house putting surveys together. Maybe you thought Christianity was just a prayer you prayed at some stage in your life and that's the end of it. Maybe you've never heard Jesus say, take up your cross and come follow me. Maybe you've never labored over Romans 12, 1 and 2 and what this really means to follow Christ. What it means is total surrender. What it means is consecration and transformation. So there might be somebody right now in this room watching it online right now who for too long has been trying to hold on and control and be sovereign over some aspect of your life. It's time now, it's time now to offer up all that you are to the Lord. As a living sacrifice, I invite you to do that right now. Lord, take my talents. Take my mind, my body, my will. Take the days that I have left 
on this planet. I surrender fully to you. Use me for your purposes. Use me for your glory, Lord. Lord, thank you for this instruction from your word. Lord, thank you for the way that you have so wonderfully filled my life with joy. The more I surrender to you, the more I trust you. The more I turn away from the world and I'm transformed by the renewing of my mind, the more, Lord, The more I love life, the more I love you, the more I love people. And I want more of that, Lord. So God, I lift up this life. I offer up this life for your purposes to do whatever you want. And if I could pray on behalf of others in this room who feel similarly, Lord, we offer up collectively our bodies as living sacrifices for you. Take Harvest to Cater, the people that make up this church, and use us for your glory, for your purposes. Help us to not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of our minds. Renew our minds, Lord, through your scriptures, through the Holy Spirit, through this community of faith. We love you, Lord. We love you because you first loved us and you died for us and you sacrificed yourself for our sins. May that mercy that you have shown us fuel this desire for consecration and transformation, I pray. Amen. Let's stand. Let's sing, church.